0: plus.
1: is over. But the story of the Pittsburgh Steelers 2022 season is just beginning. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the Cutting Room Floor. Today on the Cutting Room Floor, we're going to look at the Steelers preseason, wrapping it up with a conversation about what the major questions, what the major themes we've learned from this preseason, what are the biggest stories for this Pittsburgh Steelers team? Looking at the tape, looking at all the different players, what stands out? And that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to start with the offense, and I'm going to start with the position that has been under a microscope since Ben Roethlisberger retired. The battle between Mitchell Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, And Mason Rudolph has ended the exact way we thought it would. With Mitchell Trubisky being the number one quarterback from the start of preseason through to the end, from frankly from the moment they signed him to right now, Mitchell Trubisky has been the number one quarterback. Kenny Pickett is the quarterback that they wanted from the start to take the number two spot. To show his development, to, to push Trubisky a bit but not really win the job. You know, they don't want to start their first round pick draft pick in week 1 and they're not going to. Mason Rudolph lip service, right? Is is the is the word that comes to mind. He he was in a quarterback competition in a way that if he suddenly became a much better quarterback than he had been, and the other two guys were just simply not good, uh, then he still had a shot at this. But it was never a good shot. It was never really an equal competition. It was a competition, just never an equal one. Looking at Trubisky and Pickett, because they are really the only two that matter now. They, they showed that in the third game, that Mason Rudolph, is not going to be one of their top options. He is their, you know, either trade fodder or break glass, you know, in case of emergency type of player. When we look at Trubisky and Pickett, the number one difference between them to me is how Pickett uses the middle of the field and Trubisky doesn't. Other main differences are Trubisky is much better getting outside of a pocket and escaping pressure than Pickett is. Pickett's not bad. He's mobile. He he moves. But his movement reminds me more of moving around in the pocket. You know, he will escape if he has to, but he likes to move to evade the rush. He's much more subtle. Trubisky kind of takes his snap, stands where he's going to throw, and if there's pressure, he runs away from it. Pickett moves around to evade things and manipulate things to get his throw off. Trubisky has a stronger arm. I mean, we all knew that from the moment we, for the moment both of these quarterbacks were on the team. We knew Trubisky was the one with the stronger arm. Uh, Pickett has better anticipation, is much better, more of an in-rhythm passer. And in all honesty, I, I think one of the best ways I can compare these two is to compare them to Ben Roethlisberger, right? Trubisky is early career Ben Roethlisberger. He evades pressure. He makes plays off script. He's not great at making initial reads. He's not great sitting in the pocket, progressing through the the, the his reads and making the pass. Right. That you you go back to you know the 2005 Super Bowl season, uh, the first three years really of Ben Roethlisberger's career. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't a great pocket passer. And he wasn't a guy who made quick reads in the pocket and threw, you know, in rhythm passes to his receivers. That was never early career Ben. That wasn't him. That's more Mitchell Trubisky. He's going to give you throws downfield, he's going to give you more threat, but he's going to do a lot more off extended plays and broken plays than he does standing in the pocket. We'll get back to that when we talk uh, about the O-line because there's a correlation there that still still looks like it holds up. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. When you get to Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett is more late career, Ben Roethlisberger. Quick reads, accurate throws, not so much success throwing downfield. Uh, Kenny Pickett did throw downfield more in this game than he had in the other two. But he was one for four on downfield passes in preseason game three. Pickett has not been a quarter, has not shown that he is a threat to throw deep balls like he is the shorter and intermediate routes. Pickett gives you that game manager, that high level game manager in week two. He did it at such an incredible level that I was like kind of drawn a bit of comparisons to early career Joe Montana and Tom Brady and they're kind of game manager, but at a level that's just better than everyone else. Uh, game three with some backups in, he wasn't quite as effective if you can do both of those things, if you can throw downfield, if you can evade pressure and make plays and and do all that stuff on broken plays, and also be a player who can make quick reads, diagnose the defense, and get the ball in rhythm to your receiver, to the right receiver. You've got a Hall of Fame QB. You've got middle career Ben Roethlisberger. Those guys are rare. Very, very rare. And the Steelers don't have one right now. Kenny Pickett is not going to be that player. Can he have success here? Yeah, he could have a lot of success here. But he is never going to be Ben Roethlisberger. Just in case people didn't understand that, let me get that out there. The next Ben Roethlisberger isn't on this roster. Probably is not going to be for a very long time, if ever. That's your quarterback position. The Steelers are going with Trubisky. Um, and one of the one of the biggest problems I see with that, right? I think Trubisky is the right move because Pickett's just he 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 needs to grow. He needs some time. Let him see real NFL defenses when teams are game planning to stop this offense instead of just running plays to see, you know, how well this guy can match up with this guy in one on one man coverage when they're actually trying to win the game by stuffing what you are doing. How different does it look? Pickett could benefit from a few weeks sitting on the bench watching that, going in film room, uh, you know, breaking it down afterwards and beforehand. That whole process, he could benefit a lot from that. But what you're going to see the negative with Trubisky, in my opinion, most shows up with Pat Fryermuth. Kenny Pickett has used Pat Fryermuth in far less opportunity playing with Pat. Has used him much better. Trubisky doesn't. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal because that he's one of our best weapons on this team. He is a matchup nightmare. You can run a lot of this offense through the tight end position and through Pat Fryer moves, but the quarterback has to use him well. We'll see if that improves. We'll see. Moving on to the running back, Najee Harris was rusty. He looked it on the field, he said it himself. He, he he didn't look that great. The O line was better, especially the interior three. James Daniel actually had a good game. He looked like himself this game. Mason Cole continues to be a very good center for us. Not great. This isn't what we're used to. This isn't Jeff Harding's, Marquise Pouncey, Germani Dawson. This isn't those guys. But he was good. He's a good center. Dotson was a massive upgrade on Kendrick Green. The tackles, Okorafor and Dan Moore Jr. had a bit of a struggle this game. Okorafor has been really good this preseason overall. Uh, Despite the hype on Dan Moore Jr. coming to the season, Dan Moore Jr. looks like he did last season. Right? You're not going to go from a terrible pass blocker to a great pass blocker in one season. They're going to live with a left tackle who isn't great in pass protection. If they go with with Dan Moore Jr., that's what you're going to have. But I also want to point out that the Steelers have faced really good edge rushers. Really good edge rushers this preseason, and young ones. Who were playing hard, trying to make names for themselves? You've got three. You they they faced in back-to-back weeks two top two picks. They picked the number. They played the number one and number two overall picks from this past draft class in the last two weeks. And with that, uh, a second-year guy who was like a top ten pick in Jacksonville. So they've had some big-time matchups. They've struggled a bit. We'll see how this goes. It took a bit for the team to get going. It really did. Najee was rusty. Trubisky was holding the ball, kind of standing still, not really getting into the game. He he was just kind of awkward to start the game. It didn't look good. Uh, the two sacks he took were, were, frankly, mostly on him. The one he just stood there for three seconds until the offensive line got driven back into him you you can't just stand there for three seconds and not move and not read the rush and not adjust to it they one one of the things i see with this offense is you think about it they haven't had much time with the full receiver group together they haven't had much time with and and when you add in Najee Harris those, those main five weapons, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, Pat Friermuth, Najee Harris, have not played together much. Even in practices and in the preseason, definitely not. They haven't done it at all. They haven't had all five of them on the field at the same time at all. For some of this, we don't actually know what this offense is going to look like. What's it going to look like when Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson are out there with Pat Fryermuth and George Pickens and Najee Harris? We don't actually know. And the little bit we saw of Najee was him trying to shake rust off. All of this adds up to a big pile of question marks when we talk about the Steelers' offense heading into the regular season. You have an offensive line that has improved every week of the preseason, but not enough. Not fast enough, and they're still not very good. They're just not awful in this last game. The quarterbacks are efficient, but especially in the case of of, uh, Trubisky playing against the starters, similar to early career Ben, I think his passer rating and his stats are better than he's played because he has taken some bad sacks. Right? He's taken some plays where you're like, uh, that's that's not good, but it doesn't show up in passing stats. Pat Friermuth is a huge weapon. Is he going to get used? Is Trubisky going to use him? Or is he going to kind of be an afterthought? He is, in my opinion, quite possibly our best receiving weapon on the field. He can be a bigger threat to defenses than than even Deontay Johnson. But you're going to have to have a quarterback that can really use him. Najee in his first action of the season didn't look any better than Jalen Warren. How long is it going to take to take that rust off? And more pressing. We found out that injury was a Liz Frank sprain. I am not. A, I don't know football injuries that well. But it's a more serious injury than we had originally been told. Is that going to drag into the season and cause him to be less effective? That's a big question right there. Because if Najee Harris is playing at 75-80% of what he was last season, he'll still be our best running back on our team. But he's not going to carry this offense just going to feed a guy the ball who can't who maybe this time won't be able to just do it all himself the wide receivers look good when they play they haven't really had time to build chemistry but this looks like a really really talented and deep group but again the offense hasn't played together and when you have new quarterbacks when you got a Trubisky in there these guys have to build have to build that relationship they got to build up that Wi-Fi. Haven't had the time for that. The biggest question heading into this season is, have the Steelers done enough to stop teams from overloading the box, to stop the inside passing game, and to stop the run? Teams are going to try it. The preseason's over. Vanilla defense days are done. If it works... You're going to see this offense really struggle against all but the most stubborn coaches. There are a few coaches out there that will just be like, I don't care if that works for other teams. We're going to play our way. And then the Steelers would actually, you, you look at the last two seasons when the Steelers really lit a team up offensively. It was because they either didn't have the personnel to execute it or they just flat out didn't do what everyone else was doing. They didn't look at the film and say, you know what, that's what that works for that team. Everyone's doing this and stuffing the Steelers. Let's do it too. Some coaches just didn't. If this team is going to be a playoff team, if this team is going to compete for a playoff spot, this offense is going to have to be able to function when teams try the tricks they tried to stop it before. It's, it's easy us for us to point to Ben Roethlisberger's post-injury, his diminished stats, the, the last years of his career, and say, well, yeah, he was the problem. But we're seeing small amounts of that problem still happening. We're seeing a team that moves the ball really well in the two-minute drill when teams back another safety up and play with more deep coverage. And allow you to do more of the underneath stuff. We're seeing the team have success in those times. Just like they did with Ben Roethlisberger. Two-minute drills. Fourth quarter when the the other team has a multi-score lead. All of a sudden, the defense opens up a bit. And the Steelers offense gets rolling. We've seen that this season. Is that just kind of a bit of a flukishness for this season so far? And we'll see something different in the regular season. Or is it something bigger? Is it this offense? And not necessarily Ben Roethlisberger that caused it to work like that. That is a huge question that for me has been growing bigger as the preseason has progressed. That is the first half of our show. Thank you for listening to it with me here and stay tuned. We're going to go a little commercial break here and then I will be back and we will be talking the pittsburgh steelers defense through, coming
0: out with it and making some
1: Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts and BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. We are now 12 days away from the first game of the 2022 Steelers regular season. Make sure you're hanging out with us, getting ready for the season roster cutdowns are coming. Well, happening the day this is released. I'm recording this the day before, so I haven't seen any of it yet. But make sure you're with us. We're breaking down everything. We're going to be covering it all. We're going to be ready for it. I, I am excited for uh my other podcast, my my nightly podcast that is on YouTube on Wednesday nights around 8:30 called Know Your Enemy. We're going to we're, we're a, a little over a week away from breaking down the Cincinnati Bengals for the Steelers season opener. That's exciting. Make sure you're tuning in, checking it all out. Listen to us and clicking over to behindthesteelcurtain.com now and all throughout the 2022 Pittsburgh Steelers football season to get all your information, all your news, all your updates, all your breakdowns for this Steelers season. In the first half of this episode, we talked about the Steelers' offense. Now we're going to dive into the defense. Starting looking at the safeties, the story there is really Minka Fitzpatrick is still Minka Fitzpatrick. We saw him make a huge breakup downfield. We saw him blitzing and get in on a sack. They are using Minka Fitzpatrick in different ways. They're going to move him around. They're, They're going to shake it up. Terrell Edmonds is playing well. He's... Very, very solid now. You know, he had his flaws early on, and he has worked and gotten better at them. He's become a really well-rounded safety. Uh, Interestingly, this this is something that I found very interesting. Uh, At one point, Terrell Edmonds was playing special teams for the Steelers. It's, it's stunning to me because he's, he's gone from a guy that had massive flaws and yet was the Steelers starter that they stuck with through those problems to a guy who has largely eliminated those problems from his game. And yet as he's done that, the Steelers seem to value him less to the point that he's now something like the fourth or fifth highest paid safety on the team. And they had him playing special teams. The loss of DeMonte Kazi uh will probably put an end to that. It's not a small loss, but I mean it leaves him with Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick, which means you still have two really good safeties who are still the strength of your defense. One of the strengths of your defense. For defensive backs, uh the the Cameron Sutton interception was Hayden-esque. He let his man, who was running straight on a on a on a go route. Let him go. Saw the quarterback's eyes, saw the route combination, let his guy go, and just stopped. The television broadcast was like, oh, the quarterback didn't even see him. No, it's not really that. The quarterback was committed to throwing that route as the wide receiver was going deep, and Cameron Sutton should have been following that guy past the in-cutting route. It's just as he's throwing it, Cameron Sutton stops. Cameron Sutton stops in front of the end cutting route and is right there when the ball arrives. Great play by Cameron Sutton. Very, again, it's Joe Hayden-esque the way he did that exact play. Great. It's a good thing for Cameron Sutton to see that he he is getting that kind of veteran approach to the game where he is seeing what's going on, anticipating it and is able to punish less experienced players for for not you know for for being a little too obvious. Levi Wallace has been really good, Akella Witherspoon has been good, they've all looked good. Right? The secondary has looked good and the stats say they've played well. But and in my notes this is a capital all caps bolded but. This is a huge but. The cornerbacks haven't really been that tested this preseason. Like, what receivers have they faced? Jacksonville had some good ones that were overpaid. uh, And they had Trevor Lawrence. Had some success. Not a a ton. Couldn't get in the end zone. Outside of Trevor Lawrence throwing to Christian Kirk and, you know, the, the other Jags receivers that are good, not great. They haven't faced anybody. They faced nobody. Seattle didn't play their top receivers, and, and Drew Locke and Geno Smith aren't putting fear in anybody. This week they faced a couple of nobodies from Detroit. Not any really good receivers playing for Detroit either. So they look good. The stats are good, but they haven't really been tested they're going to go from that preseason of not really facing much to facing Joe burrow and the Bengals offense in week one assuming uh the pace for Joe burrow to get back is is still on and he doesn't have any setbacks and he is their starter week one Joe burrow and Jamar Chase have not played they've done nothing this preseason but he Joe burrow didn't play last preseason didn't affect him then. I think he threw like three payout passes in the preseason in 2021. Uh didn't didn't really hurt. This is the uh this is like going out of the hand warmer and into the steel furnace. Right? You're going from facing nobody to facing the most dangerous duo in the NFL. They will get one of their hardest tests of the entire season right off the bat in week one. As something to watch for. Uh, Because they've looked good, but, you know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have a way of making people not look good anymore. Moving to inside linebackers. Miles Jack is that dude at inside linebacker. He still is. He's been there since he came on board. He is their number one linebacker. He gives us a really good inside linebacker. That's what they needed. They needed that guy. They went out. They got that guy. And that guy is, in fact, that guy. Devin Bush is going to start next to him. Devin Bush had his best game of the preseason. And this time, it's not just, you know, someone someone put out the fire in the dumpster, right? Bush week one was was a dumpster fire. Bush week two was like, well, the fire has been put out, but it's largely still just trash. This was not bad. He is getting back into football form. And it looks like the process the Steelers have been allowing him to go through, like you have not seen the Steelers criticizing him at all. This process is occurring and Bush is improving. I know that he's, a lot of people dislike him. He's not the linebacker the Steelers want. We want Jack Lambert. We want LeVon Kirkland. We want James Farrier. We want someone to run up and smash people right in the face. We like Vince Williams, even though Vince Williams couldn't cover anybody that was a decent receiver. We loved Vince Williams because he ran up and smacked people. Gave us some highlights. Gave us some plays to put up on Renegade. Bush isn't that guy. Bush is the guy covering the tight end that largely shuts him down. Two plays get pointed out in this game as negatives for Devin Bush. One is from T.J. Hawkinson, a very good tight end, who beat him on a man-beater route in very simple man defense. All right, it's just you and him, and he ran a good route. It's going to beat most guys. It just, you know, he got beat there uh, in a route that should have beat him against that defense. You also have a big run play where he's shown getting blocked and unable to get off the block. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But if you are judging Devin Bush by his play in 2021 when he's coming back from injury and by his play in the first two preseason games, you're not giving him a chance. And you may not care. You may not be interested in giving him a chance to be a better player. But he is our number two inside linebacker. He's better than Robert Spillane, and he's better than Mark Robinson. And he's going to be playing. Moving to outside linebacker. Here's some some serious question marks. Because behind T.J. Watt, we haven't seen much at all. Alex Highsmith hasn't played at all. Uh, One of the big stories coming into this season was if Alex Highsmith could take a big step forward. And we haven't seen him play at all. We haven't seen him take a step. We haven't seen him even take a snap. We don't know what we're going to get from Alex Highsmith this season. Hamilcar Rashad Jr. was out there. He looked pretty solid. Very Tuska-esque. I mean, we have basically TJ Watt who is still T.J. Watt. He's shown that in the little bit he's played. Highsmith, who we hope takes a step up, but we haven't seen him. Behind those two, we have two guys that are basically solid number four outside linebackers. We don't have a number three. It's going to be interesting to see if the Steelers go with the four guys they have right now or if they add somebody. That's, That's the big question there is, are the Steelers going to add somebody? Amilcar Rashad, uh, to go a little further into him, he was very solid in run defense. He's not a guy who gets pushed back. He's a guy who holds the line well. And if you followed this show very long, the Steelers have a pattern they like to have. They like to have the left outside linebacker be your pass rusher, and your right outside linebacker is more your run stuffer. Um, one of the reasons they switched TJ Watt and Bud Dupree was because Bud Dupree had shown he wasn't a great pass rusher. And when T.J. Watt came into the game, he wasn't supposed to have much of a pass rush, and he developed it very quickly. So in his second season, they they swapped him. And Bud Dupree really shined as that right-outside linebacker being the primary run-stuffer. And T.J. Watt absolutely took off as a primary pass rusher. They added Alex Highsmith. Alex Highsmith is the primary run-stuffer now. His numbers... I've talked about this before. His numbers are very similar to where James Harrison was at the late in his career playing that same spot when they had Bud Dupree across from him. It's a very similar kind of results you're getting and play you're getting from Highsmith to like 2016 James Harrison. This season with, with Hamakar Rashad coming in, he came in on the right side. He started across from T.J. Watt in this game. And he played that position well. He he was very solid in setting the edge and against the run. And then actually drew a holding penalty on a chance where he had a chance at a sack, but was held. Drew a holding penalty. Solid play. I'm I'm putting him up there with, with Derek Tuska, but he's not anyone teams are gonna be that afraid of, right? He's not gonna come in and be a pass rusher. teams are like, well, we gotta don't, don't, you know, watch out for him. No one's one's going to be worried about him. Moving to the defensive line. The defensive line still has some run-stopping issues. Much better than they have been with uh, Cameron Hayward and TJ Watt both out there. But they still have some. And again, I'm going to say this. If you look when the opposing team gets a big run, look for number 95 on the Steelers' defense, Chris Wormley. Chris Wormley plays really good on you know ninety percent of his snaps, but then there's a few run plays where he will just be beaten pretty badly. And now we're gonna to go to that play, that big run that people look at Devin Bush on. Uh, one of the problems with that run is the, an offensive tackle just like it's it's four man rush. It's a you know what, third and seventeen, whatever it was, it was a long long yardage situation. They put four offensive linemen on four defensive linemen, and the right side offensive tackle just straight runs upfield. If you're a defensive lineman, and you see a de- offensive tackle run directly upfield, you know it's a run play. They can't throw the ball. They already have an ineligible man downfield. They cannot throw the ball. It's a run play. Despite that, Chris Wormley and TJ Watt are shoulder to shoulder as that run play is developing. And Wormley isn't able to shrink that run lane at all. It's massive. The Steelers are playing back in kind of sticks alignment where all the defensive backs are, you know, sitting there about 8 to 10 yards deep. Devin Bush sees it's a run, comes forward, meets the tight end. The running back, being intelligent, runs straight at that tight end. What that means is he you you run right at your blocker and he's gonna cut off of that block. If Devin Bush beats that block to the left, the running back just takes a step to the right and runs past him. If he beats that block to the right, the running back takes a step to the left and goes right past him. Whichever way Devin Bush goes in that situation is going to be wrong, because the tight end just knows in that play, you know your running back should be running right towards you. If the guy goes to your right, you just make him go further to the right and let the running back go to the left with you in between the linebacker and the running back. It's, It's simple stuff. Bush holds his ground. The running back is reading the defense, reading the players outside of Devin Bush while he's running straight at Devin Bush and and his tight end. The defensive backs on the right side, one of them gets blocked by the uh def- by the offensive tackle against Trey Norwood. That's a loss. I mean, Trey Norwood is not taking on an offensive tackle. Shoves him backwards. Akello Witherspoon starts running backwards. Trying to I don't know, he's like evading the wide receiver block but Just not even touching anybody. They both retreat behind the first down marker. And then try to stop the run. The play is bad from the start. But Devin Bush... (laughs) I have a hard time seeing the amount of blame Devin Bush gets for that play. Because he basically plays it smart. And if you watch the running back cut off of that block, he cuts very laterally. Because Bush waits till he moves to a side and then goes to that side to force him even wider. But there's just nobody there to help. There's a giant hole in the offensive line for the back to run through. There's no help for Devin Bush, who is engaging a block and forcing the running back to go outside. But there's no one there. I mean, yeah, you'd love this guy to be, I don't know, Ray Lewis and somehow make that play. Be Jack Lambert and and somehow make a play anyways. But Devin Bush did the smart thing. Just There was no one else there. There was no other defender anywhere around. So I... I don't know. I have I have more problem with with Chris Wormley consistently. More problem with Chris Wormley, and almost every single play, when you hear people talk about Devin Bush being terrible in runs in run support, almost every single time, go watch the play and watch number ninety five. Like really, if you want to, if you want someone to blame, there's someone someone who's a lot more to blame. I I just. There's that. Uh, also, the if you remember the fourth and one stop where Miles Jack hits the guy from the front, Devin Bush has his legs, doesn't let him uh, do us any second effort to get across, and the Steelers get the ball back. Great play by both Bush and Jack on that one. The play before it was a third and eight. Chris Wormley rushes with absolutely zero containment. The front of the pocket's wide open, and the QB scrambles for seven yards. Like, it's – it's – To me, it's almost laughable how we consistently knock Devin Bush and say he's terrible, and Chris Wormley consistently gets a pass. It just drives me crazy. Uh, Yeah. That's really it. When we look at this defense, the question marks we have heading into the regular season, I know I got off on a big Devin Bush tangent there, the big question marks we have on the defensive line with run defense is really, to me, how much of the Steelers going to use Chris Wormley? Because of the players who struggled to defend the run, Chris Wormley is the only one right now getting first-team snaps. He's literally the only one. How much are they going to use him? How are they going to use him? And how much is that going to hurt our run defense? Devin Bush, I'm not worried about. He's our number two inside linebacker. And you save literally no money by cutting him. You're not going to sign, even if you somehow traded him for literally nothing, right? If you traded him for like a seventh round pick, I don't know what you'd get for him because the other team is picking up the majority of his salary. You would save $3 million on the cap. You'd save 3000000 million. You're not replacing him for that $3 million. Mark Robinson was in this game. He He had a great second preseason game. Didn't really have a great third preseason game. And he still is ranked number fourth on their depth chart. They they still put in Robert Spillane ahead of him. So Devin Bush is here. He's going to be a coverage linebacker, and the Steelers are going to live with it. And a lot of people are going to be upset with that. Secondary, I mean, we're going to see a lot week one. We're going to see where the secondary stands week one when they're thrown into one of the toughest matchups anyone has all season. And that's the defense. It's going to have to carry this team. And there's some question marks, but not a lot. There's a lot of talent out there. And I think this defense is going to be really good. All playing together. Playing with, you know, a more advanced scheme than what they've been using. I I think this defense is going to be good. We're going to see how good, though. That's it for my show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> make sure again you're tuning in to all the podcasts on the behind the steel curtain family of podcasts and make sure you're checking over to behind the for all your Steelers news again thank you for listening have a great week and let's go Steelers